Hey, my name is Hendel Leva, and I am the host of the online show Immigration MIC, Moving Immigration Conversations. Every week, I put on my Beats headphones and create original interviews for everyone to enjoy. It's a great opportunity for young people, directly or indirectly affected by today's immigration policies, to have their voice heard in the conversation. Visit www.thehendelmediaproject.com to watch all the interviews and learn how you can get involved. Hey everyone, this is Hendel Leva, host of the Immigration Mike podcast, and I'm here with Julissa Arce, best-selling author and social justice advocate. She's joining me here today. Where are we? Here in... Um, downtown uh, New York. Downtown New York, yes. Um, so just to, get, just to give the audience at home, um, I guess, a, a look into how we know each other. So we were both working at the same organization a few years ago, but... Um, I knew of you beforehand. I knew of you from the Bloomberg article that came out where you, I believe you came out as undocumented in that article, correct? Um, and and I think you also had a piece in Elle magazine. Yeah. Okay. So so yeah, I mean during that time like I read those I read both articles and I knew I wanted to meet you and it was great to meet you and it's great to be in touch years later. Um, and this interview specifically has been three years in the making. I know, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> three years in the making. Um, but I think it's the right time. I think it's the right yeah. time. You know, right now you have a new book coming out. You've had the success with My Underground American Dream, your first book. Um, so we're going to talk about that, uh, but then go into what you've been up to these past three years, which is a lot. Yeah. All right, awesome. Um, so to begin, usually I ask people, you know, tell me about yourself. But I think you've told the world about yourself yeah. in My Underground American Dream. So kind of take us through a synopsis of the book. Like, what is it about? Yeah, so My Underground American Dream was my first uh, my first memoir, and I was very fortunate that it became a Washington Post bestseller. Um, the book is my story of coming to the U.S. and becoming a vice president at Goldman Sachs while I was undocumented. I mean, I think that's kind of like the big, the big headline. Um, but what I really often tell people is that the book is not really even about immigration. It's about pursuing your dreams and the sacrifices that we all have to make to pursue our dreams. You know, I came to the U.S. when I was 11 years old, and then when I was 14, my visa expired. And I had a, really, a lot of really tough decisions to make. Um, from that point forward, you know, my parents went back to Mexico and I stayed behind so that I could go to college and later um, I made the decision when I was like 19 that I that I was gonna have to buy fake documents to be able to keep moving forward and I know that that's something that raises a lot of eyebrows um, but the reality is that you know undocumented immigrants so many times get pushed into a corner and we have to make this really difficult decisions where it doesn't matter what we choose, there isn't a right answer. Mm -hmm. So that's what the, really bo the, the book really covers, sort of mm -hmm. that journey of coming to the US and um, going to college and eventually landing an internship at Goldman Sachs and becoming a vice president there. And, and, and also part of my thinking when I was deciding that I was gonna leave Goldman. Mm -hmm. And so as you're talking, a couple of passages are flashing through my mind. So for example, um, when you worked at the the food cart, mm. funnel cake, Sam. funnel cake, yes, yeah. uh, you know that that image is vivid. Or when you're um, 
walking towards a lady, I think, who was a recruiter at Goldman Sachs or something, with your documents, and you were, your adrenaline was pulsing and you started yeah. sweating, and then when she kind of signed off on things, that things were okay, you, like, had this huge sigh of relief, mm -hmm. right? So, I think you painted, like, great pictures. Um, what do you think has been the reception of the book? I mean, besides it being a bestseller, like, what do you think people have taken away from it the past few years? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, it's um, it's interesting because I think the book creates a lot of really passionate responses mm -hmm. on, on both sides. Like, there are people who have read my book who write me and they're like, you're a criminal, you should be deported, mm -hmm. even though I'm a citizen now, right? right? And I'm like, you went to the trouble of buying my book or checking it out of the library, mm -hmm. spending time reading this whole thing, then, like, finding my email address and emailing me so if this is the conclusion you came to then I at least appreciate the fact that like you read my story mm. you know? right. so that's like on one end of the spectrum on the other end of the spectrum which is the most rewarding part about writing a book is that people write me all the time like every day I get a message from someone who read my book and either has had similar experiences than me being undocumented uh, having come to the US when we were children and now being professionals, there's a lot of DACA recipients who write me um, because they've had the same experience and also people who haven't, who didn't qualify for DACA, who are like, hey, I didn't qualify for DACA, um, but like I understand what you went through because by the way, like when I was growing up, there also wasn't DACA, right. you know? So I think overall the response has been really great and people have been inspired by my story and my book, um, which is which is what you hope for as a writer um, and to inspire other people to write their own stories too. Mm -hmm. So I want to say this for the interview but um, you got married recently. I did. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, how do you think that factors into the whole, your whole story beyond the book? Well what's kind of funny is that I was married before. Oh yes I right? completely forgot. So I was married and that's actually how um, because my ex-husband is a U.S. citizen mm -hmm. I was able to adjust my immigration status and now that I'm remarried um, again you know I think people just kind of try to want to make all sorts of different conclusions about what that means or doesn't mean and I'm like listen like things sometimes don't work out you know relations don't work out mm -hmm. um, what has been really interesting about meeting Fernando um, once my story was already out there like I didn't want to I didn't want to tell him my last name when I first met him because I didn't want him to Google me because when you meet people online, you right. like Google people. Or you know, you it's like, the first thing. You, it's so. the first thing you do, like, or you look on Facebook. It's just curiosity, you know, you're right. just trying to find out things about people. And so I didn't want him to Google me because I didn't want him to know that I had been married before. And not because I was trying to keep it from him, but just because I think that when you're dating someone, there's a kind of natural time when those kinds of things come up mm -hmm. and it wasn't time yet you know right. like I don't want him to know these things about me on our after our first date mm -hmm. so I actually didn't tell him my last name until like our sixth date mm -hmm. where I was like oh this is, I was like oh what's your last name because he didn't tell me his last name either <laughs> and so then I was like oh I'm gonna tell you my last name but I don't want you to google me because you know there's there's like I, if you google me you'll know everything about me and he was like what do you mean and I, I was so glad that he didn't like he didn't know anything about me mm -hmm. um, but it kind of it's also kind of 
you know, this brings up so much stuff for me because, I mean, as you remember in the book, like I talk about, um, like I talk about getting my heart broken by someone who like threatened to call INS right. on me, right? And, um, and I just remember at that, that story that I tell in my underground American dream, feeling like I couldn't feel what like normal people feel when their heart is broken. Mm-hmm. And like my immigration stat- status like dictating my emotions. And in a little bit I felt like, damn, like when does that end? Mm-hmm. Because now I'm a US citizen and here I am still not wanting this person that I really like to like know things about me because what if he judges me for them? Right. Still about my immigration status, you know? Mm-hmm. And and like the moment I knew that I, I was gonna marry this guy, Fernando, um, was when I finally gave him a copy of my book. The book hadn't come out yet, um, but I gave him like a advanced copy. And then I went away for the weekend, um, like I had work that weekend. And then when I came back to LA, he was like, I just wanted to hug you the entire book. Mm-hmm. Like I just wanted to tell you that everything was gonna be okay. Mm-hmm. And he was so kind about everything that he read in my book. And and yeah, I mean, that's why we're married now. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> he's really great, but, um, but it just goes to say, you know, yeah, it just goes to say, like, I think there's also this sort of um, thinking of people that they think like, oh, like you're formally undocumented, you know, therefore, like you shouldn't speak about these issues anymore. And I'm like, well, why shouldn't I? Because the experiences I had as an undocumented person, like I've, I was undocumented for a lot longer than I've been a citizen, you know, and and these things like don't go away like just because you become a citizen it's not like a magic wand that all of a sudden erases everything that you've been through mm-hmm. you know so 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 before we get to the criticisms um so what's been the past couple of years like for you i guess like promoting the book what opportunities have come of it like what have you been up to yeah well the last few years have really been a big whirlwind um because I, I travel a lot because I speak a lot of colleges and universities mm. and conferences and I was on a book tour and in the middle of that in the middle of the last three years I've also written a new book mm. someone like me that comes out this Tuesday um, I know there was a copy wrong yeah there is a copy it's over there okay, here um, let me just grab it so you can just show <laughs> good because I dropped my ring <laughs> and I need to put it back on here if you want to hold this thanks yeah this is a new book Someone like me. I'll tell you more about it in a second. Yes. Um, but so yeah, so like in the middle of like going around, speaking to people, and promoting my book, um, then also like writing another book, getting married. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that, and, then, and then I'm also working like my first book, my underground American dream, is being developed into a television series. Mm-hmm. So that's been like a really interesting process. Um, is it set to release anytime soon or it's 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 in the works works, so um, you know it's a lot of like having to write the script and I'm asking because I I feel like I heard about this like two years ago or so so yeah because it's been in development for that long Mm -hmm. like I think one thing I've learned about television projects is that very few times as a project begin and like start you start developing a project and then like within that same season it gets on air right like it takes years sometimes to develop the project and like find the right home for it etc so um so yeah so there's there's that um 
and then you know I've I've I became a contributor to Crooked Media. The, How did the, that happen? The people, the pe- so the people. For those of you that don't know, like Crooked Media, it's a um, it's a company that's behind the very popular podcast Pod Save America. Yes. And Pod Save America, I mean they they're like have exploded and, and it's amazing. Like I they're love on top of their podcast. shit. Like and they have live events and like they're extremely I yeah. Mean, they've like hit like almost number one on iTunes. I think yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think it's because people are looking for that kind of like commentary, right? Like, like a lot of people say that Pod Save America is the answer to talk radio, mm-hmm. uh, which I think it's kind of like an interesting comparison to make. So anyway, so like I became a contributor at Cricket Media, and I've been very fortunate. Um, I co I sometimes host a podcast called Cricket Conversations. Okay. I'm really excited because the next four weeks. Um, we're doing a special series about the identity of Latinos in America, um, the misconceptions, the history of Latinos in this country, and the future of our, of our community. Um, what's, what's going to be the spin on it? Because I feel like, you know, it, I've seen like similar series for HBO or like NBC. What, what's the particular unique? For, like you mean our special yeah. series? Mm-hmm. So I, I think where, I think where this series is going to be really special is that we're not just looking at what's going on today like politically today right we are also taking a look at some historical events and facts that happened in the past we're really exploring like what does it mean to be latino in 2018 like who even is latino Mm -hmm. exploring exploring like how terms like latinx came up um and it's myself and this this uh this woman named grace para who was um she was on the Larry Gilmore um, okay. show, and we have we have like totally different personalities. Like she's like mm-hmm. a comedian, so she's like really That's funny, say, and and I'm not. <laughs> and like some of the things she says, I was joking with her, like, oh my god, like you like you say some things, and I'm like, oh. like <laughs> <laughs> like I would never say that. Right. Uh, and so it's making me be more comfortable around some of those mm. things. But um, but so I'm really excited about this because I, I I also think that our perspective is very unique. It's like to like millennial Latinas um, and a lot of the people that we're bringing on because the two, the, Grace and I were both, um, we're both Mexican-American, straight Latinas mm-hmm. and like consider ourselves Latinas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the people that we're bringing on as guests are bringing a different perspective. Like we had this really amazing woman, um, Danieli, who is an Afro-Latina, she's from the Dominican Republic, and so she had a really interesting perspective about being a black Latina and how, you know, she was also undocumented, so maybe something for your podcast next. Um, And so she just brings like a completely different perspective to the conversation, and that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to bring in different Latinx voices that can give a better picture of the Latino community because as we know, like, it's not, we don't all look the same. We don't all speak the same language. We don't all come from the same, you know, we don't all come from Mexico. Um, we don't all have the same religion. So we're gonna be exploring like all of these things in a four part series. Cool. Um, so give it a listen, create a conversation. You said that's the, it's sometime in the next four weeks or so? Yeah, so the first episode is coming out um, September 19th. Great, so I'll make a note of that um, in the uh, description. So speaking of that, <clears throat> Let's get into some of the criticisms you face, right? Yeah. Um, and and let, let's try to get let's, let's let's be real about it. Right? I'm always real. Awesome. Um, so something similar. I think there was a video that you were part of 
for the Hispanic Heritage Oh, yeah, my 30 Days of Latinx series. That's yes. also coming out September 15th. You got flamed for that. I got canceled on the internet. What happened? Okay, so... Uh, so I partner with Salvador Santana, um, and, and DEC artist to create a digital series that explored the history of Latinos in America. Okay. Our very first video was, it, let me take a step back. So some of the, the, the first video that we did was about Spanish. And right around that time, if you remember, there was like a lot of videos coming out where people were being told to speak English, mm. or where people were getting, getting like shitted on, and like, and they were like facing a lot of criticism, the racism for speaking Spanish, mm. right? So like all these people were like, there were like all these videos going viral of people being like, speak English, stop speaking Spanish, go back to Mexico if you're mm. gonna speak Spanish, and so the very first video that we made was to address this issue. Right, the, the, of the fact that like the U.S. doesn't have a, um, it doesn't have a, an official language, and the fact that Spanish was was spoken in what is now the United States before English was spoken. So like in 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 the 1500s, uh, a Spanish sailor like came to St. Augustine in Florida and spoke Spanish. Right, this was like two centuries before. Uh, Jamestown was even founded. So before before the the English colonizers came and and started speaking English, Spanish was already spoken in what is now the United States. And I thought that's going to be really empowering to be able to say Spanish was spoken here first. Mm -hmm. And I didn't mean first as in like ever, mm -hmm. like the first language spoken here ever, right? Because clearly there were indigenous languages that were spoken here before. So the mistake I made was to not acknowledge that in the video mm -hmm. and assume that people would know what I meant. Mm -hmm. And so I got, we got a lot of criticism from people saying, you're romanticizing colonialism, mm -hmm. right? You are erasing indigenous languages. You are erasing indigenous uh, history and and then you know and then so that was like one big criticism and I, I understand that criticism and I and I took that criticism and I also felt like you know we're trying to do something good for the community we're trying to do we're trying to like uplift the historical our history in this country because so many people treat us like we just fucking got here and we didn't just get here like Latinos have always been in the United States and and so that was like why I wanted to do this right and I was also like look nobody paid us to do this like we're spending money doing this because we care mm -hmm. and so my feelings were really hurt but now right there that's what i want to kind of get at is how did you really really feel that's how i felt i felt hurt mm -hmm. i felt like wtf you can't fucking win mm -hmm. like if we can't even support each other mm -hmm. and give each other the latitude to mess up because none of us are perfect. And I learned a lot from what we did last year. So we're doing it again this year. And, and we took a lot of notes. Check it out because yes. we're going to profile some really... This year we're focusing on telling stories of like cultural, um, uh, historical figures and some contemporary um, people in the Latino community. And I think it's going to be awesome.
Yeah, and you know, obviously that's not to take away from the actual issues, right? It's just when people just come with like this flame and this fury and like, you know, just throwing these things out and canceling, it's just, we're, we're not getting anywhere. Yeah. Okay. Um, Don't cancel me. Ask me questions. Like, help me be better. All right. You leave comments for Julissa. I mean, that's what you're saying, right? Yeah. Okay. You know, give um, me tips. Like, the only reason why I've gotten to where I have gotten to is because I have always been open to constructive criticism and like I always want to do better and be better and there's a way to do that right. you know? I completely agree um, okay what are some of the more well what are some important projects and partners you've been working with or working on um, I know you mentioned that my underground American dream is being developed into a series um, I also see you um, you know with some partners in Hollywood as well um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Um, yeah, I mean, part of part of that is is working with the um, working to develop the my underground American dream, and um, I'm working on another like docu series project with Diane Guerrero. Um, there's not much really like that that we can share about it yet, but um, but yeah, there's like a lot of really I think important. Um, work that we're doing that will hopefully shed a light on a lot of untold stories um so yeah okay and as far as like you know will you have a book tour for this book yes so we haven't talked about this book yet let's do that let's talk about that right now then yes that's the new thing i mean that's the next thing tell us about your book someone Perfect. like me <laughs> someone like me this book is so special to me okay. because um not to say that my first book wasn't special because it because it was um but someone like me is, it's geared towards a young adult audience, so like sixth grade and up. Um, I mean, I really, I've been really pleased to hear that people who have read advanced, advanced copies who are like adults still find it like engrossing was the word that they used. Um, but so this book really focuses a lot more on my childhood and being a child immigrant. And as I've been reflecting a lot on what's happening in the board, at the border, um, I, I reflected a lot on the parents that, that, are, that are separated from their children way before they even get to the border. And what I mean by that is the parents who make the decision to leave their kids behind because there aren't enough resources for, all, for the whole family to come. And there's a whole, there's probably a whole lot of kids who grew up in Mexico or in other countries um, I grew up in Mexico without their parents because their parents are in the U.S. Right. right, and they come to the U.S. so that they can send money back home, so they can build a house, so they father can. Father worked in a jewelry, mm -hmm. and then I believe he got robbed and kind of lost everything, and like yeah, right. yeah. Don't give the whole book um, away. You know, I, I just I just want to show kidding. you. I just want to show you my, my knowledge. You know, but go ahead. Um, yeah. So like this book really focuses. Like half of this book is. Um, Half of the book is in Mexico. Mm -hmm. The whole eight, eight years that my parents traveled back and forth. And um, then the second part of the book is me trying to sort of fit into America and fit into this definition that, that we tell immigrants is a definition of all American. Mm -hmm. right? That's why you, know, you see me here doing the splits like when I was a cheerleader in sixth grade. Mm -hmm. um, 
because I thought that being being I thought that being American meant being like an all American and all American girl, and that to me meant like being a cheerleader and like I would look at like the the pretty blonde girls at my school and think like they're American, and so therefore that's what I have to try to em imitate, and so I talk a lot about that in the book and like. Um, and the book, the, the, the book, um, yeah, so that's, that's what I talk about in this book. What, um, what angle makes it a young adult book, you know, apart from your first book? So it's also, it's, there are a couple of things. Um, one is the time period of my life that it covers. So I'm much younger in this book than I am in my, in my underground American dream, where my underground American dream covers till, you know, I'm a, I'm a, like an adult adult right where this book the age range that I'm in in this book it's much younger um, the other way is also in the way in which you have to write the book um, because it really has to read much more like a novel almost um, for like young readers to for it to be accessible to their reading um, their reading level so that those are the couple of things that make it different okay and um, in terms of like you know you said you have an event coming up on Tuesday right yeah, so if you're in New York, I will be at Books of Wonder on 18th West, 18th Street, and um, we'll be there from 6 to 8 p.m. The first 20 people that come get a free book, mm. and um, Salvador Santana is going to be um, leading the conversation with me, mm. um, and we'll have, uh, yeah, we'll have like some free books and a great conversation. Cool. And then we're also sort of kicking off this new year of the 30s Latinx series that we just talked about. It's just gonna be much better this year. <laughs> yeah, I learn. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, so we're just gonna go through a couple of your articles. Um, so talking about the political moment. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your article, Donald Trump's anti-immigrant army. What was, can you give me a synopsis of that article? Yeah, so I wrote this article for Cricket Media um, called Donald Trump's Anti-Immigrant Army, and um, the article, I did a lot of research on the, the people that the administration is hiring for key immigration posts, whether it's at the Department of Homeland Security or the ICE director or uh, the, um, the person leading USCIS, and what I found is that a lot of the people that are now driving immigration policy and enforcement are people who used to work at specifically two anti-immigrant groups, mm -hmm. um, FAIR and CIS, Center for Immigration Studies. And these two groups have been called hate groups by the Southern, uh, by the Southern Poverty Law Center they espouse really dangerous views. I mean, the founder of CIS, for example, believed in eugenics, this debunk theory that white people are genetically superior to black people. That's who founded one of these groups. And, uh, and now those people that used to work there that were senior people at those, within those organizations are now leading immigration policy. Um, and I don't think a lot of people realize like just how dangerous that is, right? And we see it. Like that's why, that's why we see such inhumane policies coming out of this administration. Whether it's what's happening with the families being separated at the border, uh, whether it's this new effort to denaturalize people, 
whether it's the public charge, which I don't know how much um, everybody knows about it, but but basically saying that people who, like if you used CHIP, which is the, the children's health right. insurance, um, or you used any kind of public service, that that might disqualify you mm. from, from getting a green card or, or becoming a citizen. And so these are the people that are driving those types of policies, right. people that used to work at literally hate groups. Mm. So that's what I, I, I wrote about, and I spent a long time um, really, you know, if you read through the article, you can read through like all the different, I mean, these people are like literally infiltrating every level of government. government. Mm -hmm. Totally. No, and I'm, I'm really glad that you were able to capture that and like kind of like condense it for people to be able to read because I think we, we hear of Richard Spencer and, is it Richard Spencer? I can't remember. Uh, Kristen Nielsen. Mm -hmm. Um, and we kind of just brush it off. But yeah. like these are people who are like inside the government driving yeah. policies. Um, second article on Wall Street hashtag Me Too. Yeah, I thought very timely um, and very descriptive, and you know it makes you feel angry. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, so I wrote an article um, about a Me Too moment that I experienced when I was working at Goldman, um, and you know that is not just. Because I think that there is this idea that um, it's only sort of a superior and subordinate relationship where women experience a Me Too moment, mm -hmm. right? Where it's like, where it's like, women's bosses or someone who is in a position of power above them, uh, sort of harassing the women who are um, their employees, for lack mm -hmm. of a better word. And what I share in the story is that you know I was. I was the vice president at Goldman Sachs when this happened to me. And it wasn't someone who was my boss. It was someone who was had the same title as I did. Um, and how it doesn't matter like how powerful a woman is, it, you still can experience those things. And in some ways, um, for me it was like it was it, it made it very it made it very difficult for me to like tell anyone because because there's also this other idea that says, if you're a woman and you've climbed up the corporate ladder, it's because you must have slept with someone. Right. I mean, people people wrote those kinds of comments when my story came out at mm -hmm. first. You know, like, oh, if she made it to be a VP, like, who did she sleep with? Right. So there's also that idea. So then you're kind of caught in a in a like in a catch twenty two where it's like, well, I don't want to say anything because I don't want people to think that. I actually invited this into my life because I'm trying to get ahead in my career. Right. Um, so that's what I that's what I mm -hmm. kind of share. Um, what was the reception to that? I don't I don't know. I don't I don't like I don't keep track of like you know every like mm -hmm. every comment or. Sure. Um, I mean, but I mean, I'll tell you that it was it was very powerful thank and, you. and just the imagery and I think. The guy was like banging on like the door at some point. Yeah. Like, you know, you just picture that and you're just like, I mean, me as a guy, like I'm just like, what the fuck is wrong with yeah. you? Yeah. Know? No, it, it was, it was really scary, mm -hmm. you know? And on top of that, I was undocumented. So I also mm -hmm. felt like I don't, I just prayed and hoped that he wasn't going to like burst through my door mm -hmm. and I wasn't going to be able to call anyone. Because what if I called the cops and then the cops took me? You know? Right. 
It was a really scary moment. Completely. Um, the last article, don't fall into Kanye's trap. Mm. So talk I know you were going to yeah. have interest in that. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> and so just to kind of go, you know, to give a little bit of background. Mm. So like I consider Kanye West to have been instrumental in um, being there during like my darkest days, right? Um, and so with the whole TMZ, slavery is a choice, the Charlemagne interview, all of that, you know, I felt the need to speak out. And I recorded a video where I said, you know, some of the people that he's inspired are some of the people who are going to suffer the most in terms mm -hmm. of like consequences. Mm -hmm. um, so, so I wanted to ask you about that because I don't know if we're on two different sides here. I don't know if you're saying like don't acknowledge what he's doing and like fall into his trap. Like, so let, let's talk about that. So the you know the funny thing about this article, like the don't get Kanye article, like it actually had very little to do with Kanye West, mm -hmm. like almost nothing to do with. I read. Him. I promise I read it. I just to don't be remember. Honest, <laughs> no, yeah, like, um, I actually had written a lot of what came out in that article, like way before Kanye made any of the the recent comments that he's made um but you know just from like um just from like a editor's perspective that there has to be some sort of noose peg to like publish things with we kind of had to wait for a moment where i could publish some of these things but basically oh, I what i said what i said in this article um was that you know you have people like kanye west who are saying that the president is god uh, the Trump is good for for the black community, and you have President Trump like always waving around this wand of the black unemployment rate and how low it is. But when you actually look at the policies um, of of the Trump administration, they are hurting the black community, right? From um, from like a lot of the of the of the pullbacks that they've had uh, in the civil rights department within the Department of Justice to um, you know, a lot of the protections that are being taken away for discrimination in like housing loans and car loans. So what this article was really about was the harm that the president and his administration are actually inflicting on the black community. And trying to say like, you know, don't fall into Kanye's trap of, of thinking that this administration is good for black people. Um. What are your personal feelings about him and immigration? Because I'll say when I watched the Charlemagne interview, like I thought I was bewildered by it, but I thought, you know, in the last scene when they're walking through like the field and he says, you know, what about the children and getting deported? He just shuts down, doesn't say anything, doesn't have anything to say. What are your personal feelings on that? On, on Kanye? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I never really, I never really, I, I don't really take any, I never really took Kanye to be like a hero to me, mm -hmm. you know? He was never anything other than someone who made music I enjoy, mm -hmm. you know? The con his concert that I went to, the last concert that I went to, um, it, it, it was one of the best concerts I've ever been to in my life. This is before he made all these comments, sure. right? Um, and I enjoy his music, and I and and but that's but that's kind of those are you know I don't really have any thoughts on him like like of course the things he said were completely outrageous or harmful and like how could he you know like how can you say those things I think I, and I think I applaud Jimmy Kimmel for like 
pushing him to the point where he was speechless, right? Because like there is no defense for caging children, for keeping children in jail, for keeping children separated from their parents. Like there is no defense for that. Like no one in their right mind can argue for keeping children in cages because there's no excuse for it. And I think that's probably how he felt, you know, like nothing he could say could possibly excuse that treatment of children. Oh, I like that. I like that uh, take on it. Um, okay, so we're at the end of the interview. Um, any final thoughts about where we're headed politically into the future? <sighs> it's... um. I think what gives me a lot of hope for the future is how much people are waking up and are wanting to get involved and are wanting to take action and how many more people are registering to vote and are voting in primaries. I mean, we're seeing we're seeing voting numbers in primaries that we don't even see in like midterm elections. Right. And that and the primaries encourages here me a lot. in New York were just yesterday. So. Right, exactly. So like People are coming out to vote. Sorry, shout out Jessica Ramos for winning um, over here in Jackson Heights. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so that really encourages me a lot. Mm. You know, that people are, people, I think people, including myself, like I'm so much more aware and knowledgeable about what's happening on a daily basis in government and in politics than like I ever was in my life before. Mm. Even when like I was undocumented, I should have been paying attention, but I was trying, trying to like, you know, make it. Right. Um, so I think that's really encouraging and that gives me hope. And but the one thing that I'll say is that, you know, we cannot we cannot let what happens or doesn't happen in Washington dictate our entire lives. Because there's always going to be circumstances that we can't control and the only thing that we can control is how we live our own lives. Um, so final thing, um, if you could look into the camera and, you know, just somebody watching you, you know, if you could give them like some words of encouragement or hope for whatever, you know, they're going through in life. Yeah. Just keep pushing forward. You know, like I said, like there's always going to be circumstances that you cannot control. There's always going to be things that, that are outside of, of the scope of things that, that you can do. Um, so just focus on the things that you have power over and, Believe in yourself, because if you don't believe in yourself, how can you expect anybody else to believe in you? All right. Well, with that, thank you so much, Lisa. This has been episode 80 of the Immigration Mike podcast. So wow. 80 episodes. 80 episodes. That's amazing. Congratulations. Yes. No, thank you. And, you know, just uh, started out with a very small idea of just having good conversations. And I'm so glad that, you know, for my 80th episode, you're my guest. Three years in the making. Nice. <laughs> so thank you. Yes. Thank you so much.